At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to Scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. I'm thankful to be here, thankful to uh, give um, Jeremy a break, and uh, even though it sounded like a tornado was blowing through as he was talking, um, we've had a few of those, to say the least, and I woke up this morning and looked out, and I was like, man, another, another one coming, but... Um, Rain is good as well. I know we've gotten a lot of it. Um, I want to continue that with this series that we've been in called Smoke and Mirrors, which comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have your Bible or your smartphone, um, you can follow along. If you have your dumb phone, it probably is not going to work too well for you. Um, but we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes together and continue in this series um, really talking about the meaning of life. And it doesn't say specifically in the book of Ecclesiastes, but we do see, um, as we've studied and as I've looked at different things, Solomon seems to be the writer of this book. And we'll even see that more today in how he actually wants to pursue life. The first part of Ecclesiastes in chapter 1 really was where he was kind of thinking in his mind about how all these things seem to come back together. They have a cycle to which they, they operate. But in chapter 2, he kind of goes in more personally in a different direction of trying to find pleasure. I don't know about you, but there's this word called FOMO. Does anyone know what that means? Yeah, you can, you can speak. I'm okay here. I don't know what Jeremy's like if he chides you for speaking, but where I come from, you can talk back to me, so it's all right. So FOMO, what does that stand for? Fear of missing out. We live in a culture today because of social media mainly, but even just media in general with the TV, um, we are terrified of missing out on the latest thing. And on social media, it's even worse because you can see people doing these things or getting ready to do something, and it really like freaks you out because you're like, I want to be a part of that. And sometimes it's a part of it by even just watching it online. And if somebody comes up to you and they're like, did you see so-and-so or did you see this? It's like, man, I didn't. And there's this anxiety that can build when you're missing out on something. And it's great here because I believe Solomon, the one who wrote this book, had this idea in his mind that he wanted to pursue and gain everything in this chapter that he could possibly gain. He didn't want to miss out on anything. And so in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, I want to read the whole passage for us together. And then we're going to kind of just step through it um, verse by verse to try to understand more of this reality that in the midst of the world and all of the things that it offers us, God is still good. And he is our source and our purpose and meaning in life. So Ecclesiastes 2, and we'll start at verse 1. It says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? 
I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works I built, houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. And I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had ever been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil." Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I know this is a long text, but I hope it communicates to us, and I hope that you can follow and understand the reality of what happens here with Solomon. Solomon basically just jumps all in. He wants to amass and gain and find pleasure, and he was going to do nothing and stop at nothing to find the pleasure that he sought so deeply in his heart. And then we see that in Ecclesiastes um, in chapter 2 here. And the question that I want to ask, it begs the question today, why is pleasure so short-lived? Because we even hear in this passage, we hear him at the end of all of these things, see the reality of it. Even in the beginning, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad and of pleasure, what use is it? It's, it's so amazing that he was trying so desperately in his heart to understand not only the meaning of life, but pleasure in life. I don't, and I don't, I'm not sure about you, but this happens to me a lot. I get lost in the pleasure of the world. Um, for me, I'm a man who loves golf. Is there any golf lovers out here? One, uh, two, two, two. Good, thank you. There's, I'm not by myself up here. I love golf. Golf just does not love me back. And that is like the worst part ever is when you get out there and the game just seems to be against you. But I love being outside. I love playing. It's something I've really enjoyed and found a lot of like peace in. Uh, but um, I recently discovered a house that has a golf course on it. Yes, let me say that again. A house that has a golf course on it. I brought a couple pictures for you to actually see this magnificent thing. This is actually nearby. This is not far from um, where we all live here in the state of Michigan. And uh, I got to look over here to see it actually. I mean, is that not beautiful? Can you see like the holes around this house? Now, 
my first thought is the wife probably is going out of her mind because this is the last thing she thought of when she was going to have a front yard and a backyard. But uh, there's another picture, too, of the backyard. There's a pool, and you can see, actually, it looks like he has at least nine holes. He even has sand traps. I mean, this guy is out of his mind putting this together. Or, who knows, maybe it's the, the lady that's like, this is what I wanted, and the guy's like, I'm not sure. But I got an inclination it's the guy. When I saw this photo, I said, this is the house of my dreams. This is the house of my dreams. Like, I could get used to waking up every morning, and whether it was before I went to work or after I got home from work, just getting out there and shooting some quick nine holes. Now, granted, it's not as far as a normal uh, nine or 18 holes, but for me, this would be pure enjoyment. And we see this even here with Solomon, that he steps into these realities of pleasure in this, it's almost like a tour of pleasure that we kind of see him walk through each of these little pieces. And I want to look at them specifically because they're very, very critical and important to us. The first, in verse 3, is this private, what, what I like to call the private pub. Look what it says in verse chapter 3. It says... I searched with my heart to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So he actually uses wine to see if it's going to cheer him. Then we see the private garden in verse 4 and 5. It says, I made myself great works. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of trees. I would made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I mean, it's unbelievable to me that he went after this so intensely. Now, gardens back in that time for kings were very, very critical and important. And in some ways, your garden actually communicated what, how much money you had. And, and so for him, he went after this and did everything in his power to actually have a private garden that people would look at and be blown away by. Now, we go on and we even see that he had private servants. In verse 7, it says, I bought myself male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. Um, and I also had, and this is another thing, private animals, I also had a great possession of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. He made it so, he made it a, a, a mission of his that he wanted to have the most of any that had ever existed in Jerusalem. See, it wasn't just even enough for him to say, well, I think this is enough for me. He wanted to make sure that anybody who saw what he had amassed was more than had ever happened in the history of Jerusalem. I mean, this is a massive task, isn't it? To amass all these things and to do all of these things. The time it must have taken to do all of these things. Not only do we see private uh, animals, but we see private, a private treasury. Look what he says in verse 
I think it's 8, the beginning of verse 8. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. He wanted all the money he could possibly amass. And he, all, and he wanted to kind of put this and save this so that people, when they saw it, were like, wow, what a rich and mighty king Solomon is. I actually want to read a verse for you um, in 1 Kings chapter 10. If you want to turn there, you can turn there, or I can just kind of read it for you here. 1 Kings 10, verses 14 to 22. It's an amazing description of just the riches that Solomon had. 1 Kings 10, verses 14 uh, to 22, it says, Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. That is, is huge. Besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land, King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. And the king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps and the throne had a round top. And on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests. While twelve lions stood there, on one on each end of the six of the step on the six steps, the like of it was never made in any kingdom. He he had this idea that he could do the best of everything. He had the money to do it. He amassed more money. He had people that were servants that were doing his work. This man was pursuing pleasure at all costs. And we even see this beyond that in verse 8. <laughs> he continues in verse 8, if we go back here to uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. Look at it, verse 8 of Ecclesiastes 2. He continues on, as if that's, this isn't enough, he continues on in verse 8, the second part of verse 8. He says, I got singers both men and women. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't enough that he had all of these things. He had to have people to come in and sing. Now, I don't know um, who these singers were, but he probably wanted the best of the best. Probably somebody like the Backstreet Boys I'm thinking about when I think of the best of the best or Destiny's Child. I have no idea. He wanted to bring in the best, and he wanted singers, and he wanted songs. And then, if that wasn't enough, he then added on more women. This is kind of one of the pieces within the life of Solomon that was a part of his demise, along with a lot of this stuff that we see here. Now, concubines, a lot of people have ideas about what concubines are. Concubines are not necessarily wives. I wrote this down because I wanted to understand more of what a concubine is. It's a marital companion that's inferior to a wife. So it's not his wife 
per se, and, and people would, use, would, would say that Solomon had many wives. He, he really had a lot of marital companions. And those companions, obviously, were for him to do things and to once again pursue the pleasure of his soul. Now, if you read on into Ecclesiastes, and I'm sure as we read on into this book in the series, we're going to see that it's a part of his downfall. But I believe all of this in chapter 2 is a part of his downfall. He wanted the most and the best of everything. That was his number one goal, and that he was going to go after as much as he possibly could to see if that would satisfy his soul. He had it all, and then in verse 11, it kind of just lets us know what it meant at the end of everything. Verse 11, it says this. Then I considered all that my hands had done. So I can see him, it's almost like I can see him looking out over everything that he's created and everything that he's done with his hands and all the people and singers and money. Like, he looks at all of it, and then... He says, I consider all my hands had done in the toil I had expended, what the hard work that he had put into all of this, and behold, all was what? What is it? Vanity. All of it. He do, he, the word all means what? All, it means everything, everything that he had just talked about, everything that he had put his soul and his heart into, it actually was vanity. If you look at the word vanity, which we looked at previously in chapter one in this study, it just means a puff of wind. It means nothing. It's like the air that comes out of you and on a cold morning and you see the air for a second and then it just vanishes. That here in this reality is what he is coming down to realize after amassing all of these things. I think for me, I see this in culture and I see it in myself even in culture. Like we just have this a desire to get the latest and greatest stuff. Do you know what I mean? But for me, I have to admit to you that I'm a techie. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a techie, and I love Apple. Everything Mac or Apple, um, it's hard for me to see it and be like, man, I, don't, I, I just want to buy that so bad. One of the things, obviously, is a phone, and I have an Apple phone, not here, but it's sitting over there. I had to separate myself. I have a little bit of separation anxiety right now, um, but... What's interesting to me is when the new iPhone came out, which was the iPhone 12, I remember buying it. And I remember walking out, out the door after buying it and being like, I have the latest iPhone, the fastest iPhone, the best camera. Like, I was going through my mind all of these things, and I got home and I read an article that talked about the iPhone 13. It was, it was kind of like, my hopes just literally dashed, and my pleasure immediately dissipated. And what do you think I was thinking about after that? Yes. No, 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 Android. How dare you say that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> because Android and all these other phones, that's the thing about society. It just continues to give you the next greatest thing. 
No one is ever satisfied with what's made. There's always something better. You see this even in the culture of professional athletes and actors. They have everything at their disposal. They can have whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. And yet we see countless times of them like literally taking their own lives. And for us, we look at him and we're like, if I could only be in their shoes, I would love my life, but they don't love their life. It's almost like they've done what Solomon has done and come to the end and realize that it doesn't satisfy and give them the purpose and meaning that they so desired. One of the things that's interesting in Ephesians 2, and if you go and study this more, you'll see all these words... I, my, myself, yourself, all throughout here. I actually circled them, and I didn't count them, but I circled them from the beginning of uh, verse 1 in chapter 2 all the way to 11. It is fascinating to me that all of these things that he was amassing were for who? Him. See, one of the key pieces in life is when you are going after things and the bottom line goal is for yourself, another piece that will always leave you restless and purposeless is when you leave people out of the picture. Now, if he had done all of this and given this to people and done this because of his love for people, I think it would have been a little bit different. But even still, the ultimate purpose and the ultimate goal would not have satisfied his soul because it wasn't just about people. Happiness to me comes in so many different ways and it, it, it's so amazing to me to watch commercials communicate this, whether it's the iPhone, whether it's a new car. Like at Christmas time, I saw this commercial where this couple... Um, this guy's like, hey, I bought you something for Christmas. And she's like, oh, really? And they go outside, and he bought her this truck, and then he bought himself a truck as well. And I sat there and looked at it, and I'm like, who does this really in America today? Like, for Christmas, who in the world is saying, and maybe some of you here did, and you're like, are you calling me out right now? Um, But who for Christmas buys each other a vehicle? And it's like, oh, this is so nice. And she's like, I want the red one. And he was like, oh, I was going to take the red one. And she's like, it's mine. And he's kind of like, oh, okay. See, it all revolves around who? Me. Mine. I love that, like, kids, they grow up, and one of the first words out of their mouth is what? Mine. See, we live in a culture in this sin the sin nature in mankind of all about getting things for themselves. So what do we do? <laughs> I mean, what do we do with all this? Like, what does it mean for all of us being in a place like this? What do we do with all of these things that we amass and we don't find pleasure in ultimately when it all comes down to it? How do we find true and lasting pleasure? And I want to look at this because God's created us for life and pleasure. Pleasure isn't bad. I I, I don't want to make this sound today like pleasure is something you shouldn't pursue because God gave us pleasure. I don't know about any of you, but you're probably thinking about it right now. And if you're not thinking about it right now, you're going to think about it as soon as I mention the word food. How many of you love food? Oh. 
goodness. I mean, what are some of the best places in Plymouth to eat? Richards, that's one. I guess that's it. Okay, man. I thought there'd be a lot more here in Plymouth. I've heard a lot of good stuff about, about Plymouth. But um, food is a beautiful thing. We have to eat it to survive. But what's amazing is we can eat it and actually enjoy it. Right? I mean, there's things in life that God has given to us and enjoy. And those things, it's not bad. The problem is, is when they become the thing that we worship. And now we have a problem. Because God never gave us pleasure to worship. God gave us pleasure to enjoy with him as the center. Psalm 1611, we, I, I want to look at this verse. And I think actually Jeremy mentioned it. Psalm 1611 says this, You make known to me the path of life. So he gives us and gives us the path of life to follow. And then on, on top of that, he says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. So we have the path of life. We have the presence of God where there's fullness of joy. And then also we have at your right hand are what? Pleasures. He gives us pleasures. But the reality is, is we have to follow his path and we have to be in his presence Pleasures don't come without God. If we pursue pleasures without God, we have lost the essence of life. Do you understand that pleasures will always overpromise and underdeliver? They always overpromise and they underdeliver. They will tell you that this is going to make you the happiest person in your life. This vacation is going to change your life. I love Disney World commercials. It's like kids are like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be able to do this and do that. And there's so much pleasure. I actually went there in December with my three nieces. They were having the time of their life. I was having probably a better time than they were. It was like being a kid in a candy shop running around and enjoying all these things. But you know what's amazing? When we were done and we flew back home, the joy of what we had experienced there was already beginning to wear off. I remember we had to stop and change planes, and all three of my nieces with my sister and her husband were all screaming, yelling. It was just, it was brutal. I was like, where did we just go? I feel like that hurts us in life. When we, when we, be, we believe pleasures are the thing that are going to satisfy, and they never truly satisfy. When we find our pleasure in the Creator instead of what he's created, then we're actually able to enjoy more of the creation. See, when we find pleasure in the creator more than the created, then it allows the created things to be able to be fully enjoyed the way they were meant to be. Romans, actually, 1, 21 to 25. This is such a powerful text that I feel like all of us should really gather and grasp. And Paul is writing here. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor God as God or give thanks to him. So they didn't thank him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's idolatry. 
So therefore God gave them up in their lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. They served the creature more than the creator. The created became more important than the creator. And see, when you make the creator the center, all the creation then all makes sense. And it satisfies you the way that it's supposed to satisfy you. But the number one satisfaction is in the creator. The number one satisfaction is in the creator. He's the one that actually, I love it in John 14, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the what? See, life comes from him, and it's not a life. It doesn't say, I am a way, a truth, a life. It is the way, the truth, the life. Life comes from him. Life is given from him, not just in the breath in our lungs, but also beyond that in the way that we live. The life that we live is from him. When you have God, and I wrote this down, you don't have to worry about FOMO. See, when you have God, you're not missing out on anything. Because God is the altar, he's the ultimate source of everything. And purpose and joy comes through him in the beautiful person of Jesus Christ. This is the most amazing thing, is that a God of the universe who's the creator, and we are the created ones, and he creates us in us a world to live in, to enjoy, it still wasn't enough. And when he sent Jesus, his only son, to hang on the cross, that is what gave us not only life here and now, but what? Eternal life, yes. Ultimate life, ultimate purpose, ultimate meaning comes from him. So today, I just I ask you, where do you fall in place of that? What does pleasure actually mean to you? What pleasures are you seeking after that you think are going to bring you the joy and satisfaction of your heart? when we've lost the true joy and satisfaction that comes through knowing Jesus Christ and having a relationship with God. If you don't know him today, I just want to encourage you. We have people here that you can talk to with the staff or myself. It is the greatest decision that will bring the greatest pleasure that you could ever have in your life. Let's pray today. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.